Hey, it was good, was good, was good. Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the road podcast presented by DJ City and Beat Source. I am one of your hosts, DJ Crooked. We got DJ Never here. Yo, yo, what up? We got Jamie the Great. Yeah. And uh, I mean, this guy is like, what? He's like basically <laughs> a part of the road podcast. He's the fan. We love having him here. He's an OG guest on here. This is what his seventh ep- episode, eighth episode. I think about I got eight. the record now, right? Yeah, yeah. I got to have the record. You got the record. Yeah, you know, he's, he's <clears throat> basically like family. You know, yeah. This Definitely. is like a, this is our family here for an episode. I haven't actually seen him in a minute, so it's good to see him. We have a good friend of mine. We have the founder of Everyday People and one of you know my favorite DJs in the world, DJ Moma in the building. Hey, what's good, what's good fellas? Thank you for coming out. It's buddy. always great to be back. Queens is in the building. What's good, man? Chill it, man. Yeah, Speaking yeah. of Queens is in the building. Yes, sir. Hip hop 50th anniversary. I'm curious, how do you feel about this 50th anniversary of hip hop? Well, I think it's like a little overly commercialized. I, th- I totally you know? agree with you on that. I'm I not think, feeling that. I think man. every corporate brand is like, how can we cash in? How it's, can we get ours? It's bad yeah. though, right? It's not good. Is that how you feel? It's, it's I think it's bad. Yeah. It's happening everywhere and it's definitely like... Wait, wait. We, we're so... we're look. Because everybody's trying to make money off of the yeah, but, anniversary of hip-hop. But these motherfuckers should make money, right? Honestly. But the wrong, maybe, right, the wrong people are making money off of it. Okay, who's the wrong people? I mean, the corporate, like the corporate... Sponsors. Yeah, but they're paying motherfuckers to do they're this. Shit, yeah, you know? But like, it's whack though. It's like, wait, you know what? Our generation, this is our generation. The new generation doesn't talk like this. They're like, oh, these motherfuckers getting in the back. Yeah, like, yo, let them we're, the, yeah, the we're, bills. <laughs> we're like the keep it real motherfucker. Like, yo, this is whack, man. You sold yeah, out. Cor- corporate people. Look at all these events. Like, <laughs> especially in New York, they got like a, this. they got something going on in Yankee Stadium with Snoop Dogg. Look, and at, Ice the, Cube. The, look at the disgust in his <laughs> face. <laughs> 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 Like, yo, he's like, they got hip hop in the like Bronx, and I mean, I come on, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? But yeah. if you're gonna do something in the Bronx, you gotta have Karis One. You gotta have like, wait, but who's in it? Okay, it's um, that's what you're. It was Ice Cube, by. okay, Ice Cube, Snoop, Lil Wayne, okay. which is not bad, but still, you got Fat no, Joe. No, to your point, never. They asked me to do Queens. I was like, I'll do Queens. That's easy. That's wait, so who's they, asking? They asked me to do Brooklyn. I was like, I'm always in. Wait, wait, who's asking you? The Hip Hop Coalition. Who's this people? Cool Hurt called you? No. This is uh, the hip hop. Who are these people? No, there's a gentleman named uh, Matthew. Yeah. Matthew Morgan. He used to head Afropunk mm-hmm. and he's working with the city to throw some of The city of New York. The city of New York, like Mayor Adams and the whole kit. You know what I mean? You but know. never they asked me to do the Bronx and I was like, nah. I'm not doing the Bronx. Why not? I mean, I but said, I'm not touching the Bronx. It's different. Why? You're from New York, though. It doesn't matter. If but from, still, what, you bro. need proper representation Wait. once you go uptown. That's my beef with the, the so event that happened in Yankee Stadium. You know what he's afraid? Some uptown motherfuckers going to be like, yo, yeah. this motherfucker from Queens, why he doing the Bronx? You already know, Mo. I'm not. You're not lying, bro. Yeah. I don't want to touch it. I do not want to get but dragged But Queens is part of hip-hop, though, man. Yeah, listen, I'm Queens but, all day. You I'm, know what? Because you didn't do it in the Bronx, you know who's going to be there? Boogie Blind? No, Clint Sparks. Clint Sparks? Clint Sparks invented hip hop. He's gonna come in in a helicopter. Clint Sparks is gonna be in the Bronx now. You fucked up. You should have done. You should have done the Bronx. Nah, I think it's perfect. (laughs) This is why Clint Sparks. I like this coalition though that you get a call. We're doing the hip hop 50th anniversary. You know, we're gonna have MoMA for Queens. Yeah. You know, they're doing every borough then, huh? Yeah. But by the way, like I'm, I'm at the bottom of the bill, right? They do got KRS One. They got Chuck D. Um, I, I don't know who else they got, but they got some actual legends. That's I'm just dope, doing a, a, a one-hour DJ set. You mm-hmm. know? That New York shit is going to be like, are they going to stream that? Is it going to be on? Like, Can we watch it's gonna that It's going to be shit? hot as fuck, too. I, I don't think they stream streaming any of these they events. They should be streaming this they shit. Might. Yeah, they get might. YouTube on the phone. They might. 
Fam, that's like epic to be in New York mm-hmm. around this time. That's crazy. Especially the block party. Can you get us passes? If we go? I think it's open to the public, bro. Oh, for real? Oh, yeah. no, I'm, I'm not. I don't he's, want the public. Yeah, I want to stand with you. Want a wristband? I want to. Yeah, I want to be backstage, to chill with Chuck D. With the <laughs> and Karis with the auntie thotties, you know. With the golden age thotties. You could be my Serato setup guy. Yeah, yeah I'll do go. that. Yeah. I'll you carry his backpack. I'll sit your shit up. Oh yeah, I'll carry your backpack. We'll do all of that. I'll carry your fan. Yeah, get us get us the wristbands and shit. You know me, I'll get the IG IG videos for you. Done deal. Done deal. That'd be, that's fucking yo. You you're having quite a year, huh? Yeah. You just you just did a Drake thing. Yeah. You just opened for Drake in Montreal. That's right. And all the Hamad <laughs> brothers were there, right? Yep. Boss was filming you. Chance. E was there. E was there. Cole did a Cole, guess, Cole, Cole did a guest spot. Popped up with Drake. Yeah. Wow. Damn. Damn. Yo, I just asked you. I was like, yo, that would have been a nice picture, right? With with the Hamad brothers. And Drake and Cole. There was an opportunity to do it, but I just can't. I just can't bring myself. You don't to want to do be it. that guy. I don't want to be that guy. You know, you gotta like, start being that guy. You gotta, yeah, you gotta do Why? it. Once I'm opening up for that. Drake. Yeah, there's no. Why do I? What, what else do I need to do? Like, a I'm picture. Good. You wanna hang that up? That's a nice picture, though. That's a nice picture. Yeah. You're wrong with that. Man. Look how far you and your brothers have come through music and hip hop, and then you with one of the biggest artists in the world. Eve would never do that picture. Eve would, but no, what I'm I saying is Eve that that picture will happen, but it'll happen in a way that's not like forced. Organically. You know, but I, I used to think like that, but now I'm starting to think, what if it doesn't happen? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Sometimes you got to take your chance. But listen, go. if it doesn't happen, I can still say I opened up for Drake in Montreal. How many people can say that? Well, in, yeah. your, in your head, if you had to intro it, how would you intro it? To intro Drake? what? Like you, Drake... Y'all and, the room? and Cole, Cole and Eben and, and Boss are are all talking. You guys are having a ball. How do you intro, guys? Let's take a picture. No, yeah, it was just that simple. <laughs> I'm like, yo, let's take a photo. Somebody, like let's flick it up. And, and, and you think and you that- know what? Everybody would line up and everybody would take the photo, and it would not be a problem. But in the moment, I don't want to be that guy. You know, because Cole and Eben and Boss, that's my family. Drake is not my family. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? And he's just used to people around him, hanger-ons, everybody asking for a photo, everybody looking for opportunity. So when you get around people like that, the way to actually make them comfortable and maybe one day truly chop it up with them is to not be that guy. You See, know? Jamie's that guy. You would have asked for a I would. I would have in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jamie's the poster child for that guy. Yeah, but that's the thing. Yeah, Jamie's going to take that shot. We're going to take that shot. You, yeah. you, you miss every shot you don't take, gentlemen. So I would have been like, yo, let's flick it up. And I'm not big on pictures, but that's a moment for you. Like, you open up for Drake. Like, that was not just... Who, you, who can say that? But you know what happens after? Because, like, after that party, they move to the second party. And then, uh, and then you, security tells you, like, no, you, you cool. can't come. You got the picture. So you can go. Fuck it. You can't go to the I go home. Party. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> nah. So you open for Drake, Montreal. And what was it? Like 20 minutes set? 25 minutes set? Yeah, like 25 minutes set. And how, what, did, how did he get How did you get that? Who made that call? All right. So it's all like very like serendipitous. We were supposed to be somewhere else in a totally different country with all the guys, right? And that fell through for some reason that I really can't get into. But it opened up Cole's schedule. And then, you know, I, Drake hit up Cole and was like, are you available to pop up on my show? Because 21 Savage wasn't there for Montreal, mm-hmm. you know? And everybody was like, oh shit, Cole's gonna pop up with Drake. Let's go to Montreal. That's gonna be fun, right? Because then you get, you kind of get to be part of like 
Cole's entourage and you get the hospitality from OVO. So just to kick it is a look. So OVO sent a jet or something, yeah. right? They didn't send a jet, but like, you know, homies flights, homies hotels, right. cars, you know, backstage passes, open bars, you know, the hospitality. It's basically... This is how Cole would treat Drake if Drake pops up at Dreamville. And then if Cole's going to pop up with OVO, Drake is going to reciprocate. Like right. The way they treat each other is with the utmost respect. Mm -hmm. You yeah. feel me? And to just be a hanger-on, to be part of the entourage, is a, is a good look. It's a vibe. You know, I wasn't mad. So you got a call. They're like, yo, Cole's going to do a, a pop-up at the Drake show. Like, yo, you want to roll? And you were like, yeah, well, Yeah, roll. because th that other trip was canceled. Right. So everybody was open that weekend. Yeah, yeah. You know? So homies was like, yo, we're going to Montreal instead. You want to rock? And I was like, let's go. And once we got there, you know, the first night was dope. You know, we watched the whole show. Cole popped up. And Drake's manager was like, yo, you got your Serato? I was like, yeah. Future? Yeah, Future the Prince. Yeah, that's Future Prince. Um, shout out to him. Uh, great dude, right? And he was like, you got your Serato? I was like, bet it up. And he was like, you want to rock tomorrow? I was like, say less, right? And he was like, yeah, I'm 8.20, 8.25, just before Drake. I was like, oh, shit, just before Drake. You know mm. what I mean? And I think that says a lot about how OVO treats and respects DJs. They, didn't, they don't put you on at like 6.45, nobody in the arena, yeah. people walking in. They, yeah. I mean, I basically went on after Skilly Bang, who's like the hottest dance hall artist, right. you know, since like Vibes Cartel been locked up, you know? Um, Skelly had the room on fire and then I'm coming up and I'm on the DJ stage. You nervous? I'm usually never nervous. Yeah. I was nervous. Mm, you have to be. And I'll tell you why I was nervous because the night before I had watched the show and I think it was a Friday night. So the arena was filling up slowly. So when Skilly Bang was doing his thing, the arena was at like 60% capacity and it was just building up. Mm -hmm. So the DJ set that came after that was kind of like chill. But by Saturday, the arena was at like 95% capacity when Skilly was rocking. So Skilly had the whole room, hands in the air, waving left and right, phone lights, absolute movie, right? So I was pulling up, I was thinking I was gonna do some chill shit, warm it up. And I was like, oh, I got to go like festival. I got to go really, really big. Mm -hmm. And Skilly was done at 8.20, five minutes early. And the production dude was like, yo, he's done five minutes early. You want to rock? And I was like, let me take the five minutes because I need to think of something else. And I just went in Serato. I opened the prepare window. I just threw like a hundred records in there, dumb quick, just like really big, you know, Waka Flocka, Uzi, huge, like Mo Bamba. And I was like, I'm going big festival style. And in those five minutes, I kind of just came up with a 25 minute set. And then I just kind of free balled the rest. But I was definitely nervous in those five minutes. But then once I got started, then it just felt like a gig. You had to call Audible though, right? Because you, you were planning to do like some Afro-Caribbean kind of yeah, shit. Yeah, I was going to do Afro-Caribbean. It's Montreal. I was going to play like Montreal rap. You know, I had hit up some of my homies. Yo, what's the biggest local Montreal record? I was going to shout out the Haitian folks. I was going to do all types of different mm -hmm. shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then and, you were just like, fuck, I got to nah, do. I said, I got to go festival. Like yeah. I Big hip-hop records. Big. I went big hip-hop records. Everything that was like big hip hop and trap and 70, 60 BPM went off huge. And then I went to Afro Beats and it kind of bombed in comparison. Mm. So I got out of that real quick and I ended up with like 
you know, 2000s, 2010s, 100 BPM hip hop, Nicki Minaj, 50 Cent, Frank Ocean, and that also hit really hard. So I kind of went off on a, on a high note. Did you, uh, did you record it? No. Nah. Boss was behind him taking like, you know. I got a lot of footage clips. from the homies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought that was dope. I thought it was dope how like the Hamad brothers, like everyone's together. It's a great moment for you. Yeah, and the group you chat know? was going off too, yeah. you know. When I was done, I looked at the group chat because a lot of people were in the green room, mm -hmm. right? So like Cole is in the green room, like, yo, moment's going off. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm about to catch a set. So it felt kind of good because when I went back to the, to the green room, the first thing Cole said to me was like, you ever rock a crowd this big? <laughs> you know, and I had to think about it. Like I've rocked festivals that are like 30 to 40 to 50,000, but it's kind of flat. Mm. It's kind of horizontal. There's no phones out. When you're in a bowl, and that might've been like 30,000 like people. Like an arena, right? When you're in a bowl, yeah. it's something else, you know? And all the phone lights were out. So I had to tell him like, nah, I ain't never rocked nothing like this. So it was a first for me. Yeah, it's good. It's a good thing to have like a notch on your belt that you've done something of that size before. Yeah. Pause. Pause. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're back with the peasants here. Mama. No, and especially if you rocked it when the people are there for someone else, right? Mm -hmm. Then nobody was there for me, right? Right. Everybody was there for Drake. So in order to kind of like leave my mark on the evening, I think that's what I'm most proud of, right? So Nobody did, was there for did me. Did Drake come up and say, like, yeah, that was dope, that was dope? He bigged me up at the after party. But beyond that, because it was such a takeover of Montreal, mm -hmm. out in the streets, people were like, yo, you killed it. Yo, you killed it. Like, mm -hmm. everywhere I went, yeah. I guess, everybody in Montreal was there. That's dope. That's nice, man. Man, you're, you're jet-setting everywhere. You just came from London, right? Just came from London. We did everyday people in London. A-Track was there? A-Track pulled up. A-Track. Shout out to A-Track, yeah. you know? That's dope. He tweeted about you. Oh, he did? He was nice. talking about Pound Town. He's yeah, like, yeah how yeah. appropriate. Pound Town. <laughs> and actually like pound the, their currency. Pound, yeah. pound Town. He yeah. did his like little uh, Canadian. Oh, shout out to A-Track because he was like, yo, I'm, I'm going to come through. And I had to give him the disclaimer. I was like, it's in Croydon. You know, it's kind of like if we're doing a party in 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 New York, but you kind of got to ride like the Long Island Railroad or you got to ride the Metro North. It's a ways out, and you really can't drive. It's too long of a drive. It'd be like two hours, 90 minutes. But on the train, it's it's a quick 40, 45 minutes. So I was like, I hit him up. I said, listen, man, I know you're A-Track, but you might have to take public transport. And he was like, all right, I'll look into it. And, yo, sure enough, he just pulled up on me by mm. himself. And that's love. You feel that's me? Sick. Like, I gave him the wristbands. He was on stage with us. He hung out for a bit. And he knows a lot of people in our crew, too. So it was cool. Damn, that's man. Sick. Shit, you get like so. How's it like? How are you feeling with everyday people right now? Like it's just such a monster right now, right? Yeah, it's it's a monster, and we, you know we've talked about everyday people a lot. So I don't want to like belabor the point, but we have to talk about one more thing. But I feel like it's become a black pop mainstream culture reference. Mm. That's where we are now. You know, people just tweet random shit like, oh, it's giving everyday people or like, uh -huh. oh, this feels like everyday people. And I see it on Twitter and I'm just like, ooh, this is the next phase. We're just becoming a cultural pop reference. Not quite like the way people used to talk about Soul Train or something like that, but, you know, almost. And that's, yeah, it's That's crazy. good and bad, is it? It's it's good because it shows like kind of like the impact of everything you've accomplished and how far it's gone. Yeah. But it's bad because then people just feel like they can just talk shit and hate. Whereas before, everybody used to treat 
everyday people like this cherished institution mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but now there was a personal connection right it was a yeah and then now it's just kind of like there's so many people just like yeah and now people might want to hate on it like somebody might want to hate on delta airlines right. you yeah know? They, they think it's, it's just, like this heartless or like this, exactly this this cold-hearted corporation so or we, brand. we've yeah. entered that zone where i'm just telling the people in our crew in our community like yo don't worry about what people tweet you know mm -hmm. it's just like those are the same people that would hate on drake mm -hmm. but if they met him they'd fan out you know yeah those that's the that's the weird about this generation they just kind of want attention they just want people like they're just tweeting out shit They'll hate on something, but as soon as like they get the attention, they're like, no, no, no. I don't necessarily want to hate that. on this generation because yeah. the people that are on Twitter hating are of all ages, bro. Yeah. Yeah. It's 25, 35, 45, 55. No, but this is the only generation that will hate on social media, but in actuality, like fan out when they meet the person or meet the group or meet the person or like the, the celebrity in general. Yeah, that's possible. You know, like yeah. an older generation, they hate you. They fucking hate you. That's fine. Like, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, I feel like the younger gen is like they'll like shit on the podcast or there's shit on like I remember when I had like a clothing brand, they would shit on it and then they'd meet me and they'd be like, Man, I fucking shop there all the time. And I'm like, yo, you you were just shitting on it. Yeah. And like, oh, that's just Twitter, man, you know? And I'm just like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't but yeah, that's, but that, that that's where we are now, right? Like we're we're a pop culture reference. So You guys are the face of black joy. And and people use that face without our permission. Like I'm, I'm quoting, you guys are the face of black joy. You're an oasis. Yeah, but that's not. You're not quoting me. Okay, exactly. This, what, this is what we what fight is, for. What is black joy? This is what we fight. We fight for everyday people. What, what is what black, is black joy? joy? What is that? I'm <laughs> quoting. I'm I'm quoting Janelle Monae. Okay, that's uh, fine. <laughs> that's fair game. Janelle, Shout out Janelle I got Oh I feel my like, god, I forgot about that. Jeez. How did you forget about that? I don't know how. Damn I, I gotta play. I gotta play this. Have a collective called Everyday People. I don't know if you guys heard of them, but they're like beautiful black and brown mm -hmm. people from Ghana, from the continent to Jamaica to Brazil to Atlanta. Like it's super diasporic. It's Pan African, all coming together to like party mm. and on the same frequency vibes. Like amazing, and they couldn't find a place to host their thing. And I was like, oh. You can do it at my house. Come here. Come. And, and it was like an indoor-outdoor vibe. And I just remember looking around and being like, I want to create music for these people. Like, this mm. is black joy. This is what we fight for. It's like an oasis in the middle of everything that's going on. Like, this is what you want. And so I would write songs. I remember writing Float on like a Monday or Tuesday and being like, if I can't play Float at the party on Saturday... Like it's not going on the album, and that's how that's how I started to write a lot of the music by going to those parties and, and, and creating sort of like lifestyle music for a specific type of people. Damn, son! Wow, man! Wow, you you, you inspired you inspired, you inspired a, a whole album, album. a Janelle, Janelle Monae album. Wow, I mean that's unreal because yeah. I'm a huge fan of Janelle Monae. Yeah. Yeah. You remember the days at a good spot? Look at his face; he's feeling yeah, himself. He's, he's, you remember the days at a good spot? <laughs> I, I see the chain like a blushing. Yeah. He's feeling himself a little bit. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I'm honored. <laughs> Yo, you can feel yourself, Mo. It's, it's okay. Good. It's good. You no, can no. take off the New York coat off a little <laughs> yeah. bit and let loose. Now, no, but that's. Good. I'm not feeling myself over that. <laughs> <laughs> To me, that's just, that's beautiful. You know it what I'm saying? Beautiful. She's it is beautiful. She's just showing love. Yeah. And she's in a position where she doesn't have to show love. You Not know? At She's all. like yeah. the big homie. No, she shows love. Like, yeah. She's using her platform to kind of like elevate my, fuck you, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she shows, you know, she shows everyday people other 
things. No, yeah, she, I mean, you guys were, you know, she, she let the girls out at, at one of your parties. I think I was there. I just didn't know it happened. I was yeah, at the EP you in know, LA. Me neither. And because you was right there, I was behind her. I was uh, I was DJing, or I was actually Sugar Shay was DJing. I was next to Sugar Shay. Shout out to Sugar Shay. Yeah, Sugar yeah. Shay's the best, yo. Shout out to Sugar Dope Shea. DJ in LA. Yeah, yeah. You know, Philly, Philly native, out in LA, killing shit. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I think at the end of Janelle's performance, you know, she kind of showed the crowd. She flashed, you know, I don't even know she the tatas. <laughs> and I was just behind her clapping up, but I didn't know that she had just flashed the audience. So... In this viral video, yes, you know she's showing it to them, and I'm behind clapping. And somebody tweeted, "For the first time, DJ Moma is on the wrong side of history." And I thought that's a pretty brilliant tweet. You know, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> she said that started like a whole campaign for her. Yeah, because right? then after that, it was like just... letting the girl like every, she just wouldn't stop letting the girls out. The yeah. girls just kept coming out. Didn't yeah. you do that on Grammy after party at LeBain and? Yeah, we did. Not the Grammy. It was um, the Met Gala That's at the party. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, how did you get this guy to do the podcast? I don't know. Yeah, what you It's do? like you got to come up with the right people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to start feeling myself now. <laughs> we have to talk about the Met Gala after party just briefly. No, no, you yeah, can go on. 45 minutes. It was Janelle you. Monet's after party that she was hosting. The the Met Gala, the Vogue people obviously wanted a huge name, so they got Kate Trinata. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, but because it was at uh, the standard, the top of the standard, the Boom Boom Room, which is essentially our quasi home with LeBain, um, between the venue and Janelle Monet, they wanted me and everyday people to kind of complete that whole um, formula. Yeah. And it was an incredible party. I To us... It was just an amazing dance party because that's what we used to. But all the people affiliated with the Met Gala were like, this is the most dancing we've ever had oh, at an after party. And I think it's a function of like the tone that Janelle set. Because Janelle, you know, she knows how to get people involved. She's great on the mic. She was playing new music. She was dancing on the bar. She had all the girlies dancing on the bar. Kate Trinata played a truly inspired DJ set. And also there's the whole like superstar angle with Kate Trinata. You know, he gets behind the decks, people get open. And and I just came in and I filled in the blanks. You know, I kind of did my thing, the little everyday people, little Afro, little dance hall. It was a perfect night, man. Wow. It's your second time with Kate Trinata, right? You spun with him my first time. Yeah, in, Miami. In Miami. Miami never happened because it got shut down <laughs> before he oh, the, hit the, the stage. Yeah, I, oh. wanted to, I wanted to talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I was, didn't know that. It was Art Basel. It was Art yeah. Basel, and, you know, Kate Trinata was being brought on by our partner, Spotify. Mm -hmm. And to us, that was a great fucking look. I'm like, one, you're sponsoring our party, and two, the talent that you're drafting is Kate Trinata. Yeah, they paid for Kate Trinata. And I was right? like, yo, I'm with it, like 100%, right? But we said to them, we might not want to announce him because Everyday People is already a party that's very sticky. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get like 6,000 RSVPs on a free party, 5,000, 5,500 people are going to show up, which is a lot more than the usual free RSVP. What was the capacity at the event? The capacity of the event is probably like, 3500 3500 you know and so so you it was a free event it was a RSVP. free event and and you know and you guys sold out like i mean basically all the RSVPs all the RSVPs were like yeah we're gone all the tables that were there to be sold were sold out i mean to the point where like Nas's people hit us up on the day of it was Nas i was going to say Ray J but it was Nas it was Nas <laughs> and and i was like I, I got nothing i got nothing at this point i'd have to kick somebody out 
And you know, I felt like you I let Nas, Nas down. I let Nas down. No, you I let Nas like, down. Well, we Damn, told his people a like thing over here. Nah, Queens, man. That's Queens. Queens nah, man. I, we told his people we'd rather not have any drama. Like it, this is already too nervous. It's too hectic as it is. So wow. we 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 so, couldn't take any more. So Nas you, was you standing with, in the crowd by the bar. Where was nah, you? nah, nah. With somebody like Nas, either you let him in and you give him all the hospitality, or you tell him it's not going to happen because mm. you don't want Nas in the crowd. So you you denied him at the door. We didn't deny. We said, "Listen, there's no tables left. Like, Every not, square inch not, not of a tonight, table fella. has been sold by the venue." Damn. Maybe you want to go to live, huh, Nas? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, Nas. That's the OG. Sorry, That's we're a little sold out. Maybe on, you know, man. check out Story or check out Live. Damn, you know? man, you can get like a, a folding table or something. <laughs> Don't get me canceled by Nas with your <laughs> podcast video recaps. You I know, want no parts of this. If it was, <laughs> what's the title gonna be? <laughs> Yo, like, there's no space for Nas or yeah. something. Oh. But if it was Drake, <laughs> but I think w- what happened that. That's crazy. Kinda, Don't even bring Drake because if Drake was coming, you would have to set up that table. <laughs> somebody no would comment. get kicked out. No comment. You'd be like, Yo. sorry, Spotify. somebody got to go. You Spotify not, execs needs to move I'm, the fuck. I'm not on. touching that, bro. We had Spotify. We had American Express. We had liquor sponsors. Uh, it was the most sponsors that we've ever had. You had the best, biggest party. You had the biggest and best party in our Basel. That's what I heard. I think that it was the party that most people were looking forward to. Mm-hmm. And then, we, and most people who have an event at our Basel would have wanted to advertise Keichinata from the jump. Mm-hmm. Right? You didn't want to. You didn't want to. But, but even if we had an event and we had Keichinata, that shit would have been the, like, Roe Podcast would have been, like, this, this big. big on the flyer. Keichinata yeah. <laughs> would have been huge. But you decided to keep, you didn't announce it till like, the day before. We didn't announce right? it till a couple days before yeah. because you got to understand, if, if Spotify is sponsoring the event, right? It's in their best interest for all their partners and their staff and whatever other interest they have to show the world that they have Catronada at Art Basel. And and not only to show it in a recap, but to promote it in advance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we agreed, like, listen, let the party sell out and then we can announce Catronada. Because by then the RSVPs are The RSVP is closed. But yeah. the problem is that you increase like the stickability of the party. Yeah. You know, free party usually you get like forty percent of RSVPs that show up. Everyday people free, you get about 65 to 70 of RSVPs which is that lot. show up, which, which is, is a lot. lot. Everyday people with Catronada, we were looking at a 100%, more than 100%, because then people just tried to rush the game. Then, but everything, the buzz starts going. So then yeah. all these celebrities that are in town that don't even know about everyday people are like, I want to go. Yeah, but the celebrities you know? wasn't even a problem, because you tell a celebrity, we don't have a hospitality, we don't have a section for you, they're not coming. Celebrities are never going to try to wing it like that. They're not desperado on that level. It's just like random people who want to get into the party. They will come. They will hang out at the gate. They'll block traffic. And it creates a situation outside of the venue where the police is like, if you don't handle the door, we're going to shut down the party because that's the only way to dissipate the door. So that's what happened. Inside the party was fine. It was safe. We were within the capacity. But outside, it wasn't enough like mechanisms put in place to control the crowd and the police was like y'all gotta shut this shit down but for the first three and a half hours that it was rocking bro it was about to be the dopest party of the year for us and then just like that it was clipped just because of the crowd outside crowd outside and they should have just they like you said they should (laughs) have just blocked off the whole street right i mean we know better now so we would probably, yeah, act. In preparation, like, moving forward, you'd be like, we got to block the whole street. Yeah, but, you know, we didn't think it was 
on us to do that because you're you're, you're looking at venues that routinely do events. On that week, well, the venue should have been people. on it. Should have been known. You're looking at uh, the city of Miami, people who understand how the police department work, people who understand how permitting work. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, it's supposed to be plug and play. But this was also like a teachable moment for us that even if it's plug and play, we got to do our due diligence because the stakes are getting higher year after year, especially when you got corporate sponsors on the, and shit like that on the yeah. line, you know? I mean, did it end okay? Like, I mean, it was peaceful. Everyone was disappointed and everybody that was inside was like, that was the most amazing three and a half hours. Like, mind you, I was just warming up. And this is like first week of December. The Uzi song was really bubbling. I just want to rock. Yeah. Because it came out in like mid-November or late November, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, oof, by the time I get to I Want to Rock, the floor is going to cave in, you know? I was still on that Beyonce shit. I was still milking Renaissance. And I hadn't touched any Burner Boy, the Uzi record. I was like, oh, my God, this shit is about to be so crazy. And then, you know, then the cops hated, man. So what crazy. time did it end? You know, if it was supposed to go till 1 a.m., mm-hmm. it was probably clipped around... 9.30, 10. Damn, Ooh, shit, man. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah, we did Damn, Doris Mumby at like 6. Uh-huh. Yeah, we were just, we were on the way up, man. We were on the way up. Damn, man. Have you, uh, like, what? what is your impression, like, kind of like looking at everything that's been happening over the past couple of years after the pandemic? You know, with everyday people, all the gigs you've been doing. You've been killing it in New York, even with uh, LeBane and Dance, Dance, Dance. You know, that's probably, like, one of the best industry, like, parties throughout the week, right? Right on. And then, like, all of these events you're doing, from Drake to a Beyonce commercial last year, you know, to London, and everyday people is thriving, and even your DJ, your production, everything's, like, thriving. Like, how do you look at it? Do you do you get a chance to kind of look at everything and, like, kind of... Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a late bloomer, you know? But I'm really looking at it, like... Meaning, meaning that it's happening kind of later in your career after you putting in over like, you know, maybe 20, 20 years. years in yeah. the game more or less. Yeah. I, I mean, I look at it like. And not only that, like sticking to your guns, like not really like crossing over or like submitting to what like venues want or what is trending. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I look at it like it, it's a well, good I, thing. I'm saying more like like the venues, like uh, like not following EDM or just like following the trends, like really mm-hmm. sticking to what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My philosophy, whenever I was doing anything that was maybe like subcultural or niche, is that, man, as long as I get the respect of my peers and this party is sexy and I like the music and it's being DJed well, then I can go home at night feeling like I contributed a little bit to the tapestry of New York. Mm-hmm. Whether it's nightlife or culture, I can always walk away and be like, I did my thing. I, I added a little ingredient to it, right? And that's all I ever wanted because I always thought it can only be a boutique. There's not enough people who are into what me and Stim are doing on Monday night at the good spot or who are into what me and Ellie are doing on Wednesdays at LeBain or who are into all this Afro music that me and Rich are playing at like Everyday it's, People. It's too niche. It's too, there's never going to be enough people. But what I'm realizing, and I'm, I'm going to say this as humbly as possible, yeah. is that if you actually keep doing that for long enough and you do it well and you're consistent, then you actually start to change the sensibilities of the whole city, right? And then you can start to change the sensibilities of the industry. Mm. And when that happens, you think you're in this boutique where it's just for you and like 500 people who get it. And then you're like, oh, there's 
500,000 people who get it, you know? There's people stopping me at the airport, Terminal 4, DJ Moma, I love what you do. And I'm like, nah, this shit is bugged. That was never the intent. I just thought this shit was going to be in the LES forever. So that's that's kind of like my main takeaway when I sit back and look at it. Mm-hmm. And it's probably not on the level of Supreme, but you think that's how Supreme started. It was just a little boutique, little drops. Mm-hmm. And then you fast forward 15, 20 years, it's this thing that sells out instantly. Yeah. And and then they kind of just entered a zone where they're like in brand maintenance. How do we maintain the brand without selling out? Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I was telling my partners. If you look at the Supreme model, they didn't kind of like ramp up production. They didn't dilute the brand. They kind of went luxury, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think for everyday people, that could be a possibility because there's only but so long that you can maintain quality control and something feeling fresh and new. You know, we've been around longer than paradise garage you know we've been around longer than the tunnel we've been around longer than most new york institutions you know why do you uh, think that is though in your well head? because we're not beholden to a venue right like me i was always anti brick and mortar from day one mm. you know you can come up with a venue you'll go down with it like you, you live by the three you die by the three mm-hmm. you know what i mean i want our shit diversified and you know the minute the dl folded the brand was never about the DL. The, the DL br- is the the first venue that the first big venue that big everyday venue people, that, did, yeah. yeah, that hosted everyday people. Yeah. That actually started kind of like, I would say it started kind of the trend of like day parties exploding in New York that I noticed. I think know? it started the the trend of day parties for black people mm-hmm. because if you think about it, you know the do over's been around. The do over's. Uh, you know, historic hip-hop party that's very diverse. Right. It's not a black party. It's for everybody. It's very diverse. If you look in New York, there's daytime parties like Mr. Sunday. Um, obviously, you know, Danny Crivet, 718 Sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, day parties have been happening. But this concept of moving black nightlife from nightlife to daylife where shit is a lot more chill, especially with the police, especially with permitting, especially with venues, I think the DL was maybe, that's when the light bulb went off. And especially in New York, after that, it was day parties left and right, whether it was hip hop, Caribbean, Afro, Afro-Caribbean hip hop. So I think the DL is where all of that started. The DL was such a perfect spot too, because it's like when you went to the roof, it like looked like they had this like greenhouse energy. And it was like a lot of like, it felt very tropical too. At yeah, the they had, time, they had real know? plants in there. Yeah, you know? yeah. Real plants, they really transport you to like some other place. You didn't feel like you were in the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. Is it also interesting to see how like Afrobeats and Ama Piano has like crossed over and become like widespread now? Well, I'm saying it's become like the new soundtrack for Grown and <coughs> Sexy, right? Yeah. Afrobeats, Ama Piano. It's like, it's almost like, you know, I'm going to like certain high-end restaurants or lounges and it's like literally the soundtrack. That's yeah. all they're playing. Well, so when we mm-hmm. DJ Soho House, that's like the foundation yeah. of it. So that's yeah. so that's yeah. that. It's definitely become like um a sort of like music, Spotify playlist soundtrack mm-hmm. for like high-end establishments. But it's also the music of every young hip boiler room underground dance party DJ, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just grown and sexy it's, shit. No, it's that's like uh like every young DJ in Europe in Canada, you know, on the on the on, especially on the East Coast, they're coming up. I'm a, I'm a piano DJ, and it's also like it's the fastest gateway to like a boiler room set yep. right now. So it's kind of like the coolest shit. It's out the there. coolest dance music right now. 
especially 100%. on my piano and then the the, the the like sporadic percussions of how it hits it's just so new and it's like innovative and it's just new to a lot of dance music it's like an extra layer it's it's really great when i, mean, I when it's, i when it's I, genius it's genius as south african yeah. people they they have a knack for dance music and percussion and and melodies and it's just genius you got to give them their props when you see like an i'm a piano dj like yo they're not they're not really killing it if they're not hitting the percussion oh, right the air drum point. yeah the air drum because yo when they hitting those spots like boom boom it's like crazy i'm like oh this motherfucker knows lyrics they're the new lyrics you know the percussion the patterns the drum fills yeah those are the lyrics now so you gotta you gotta air drum and then you gotta air drum for the different percussions right so if you're beating a tom, you're just punching, right? But if you're hitting a crash, you're actually hitting the crash with a drumstick. You feel me? Yo, are you practicing this? Are you? Yeah, I was gonna say, what's I know your routine? You I, I try not to air drum. Your arms look a little bit more buff. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to air drum because I have this thing about it. Like, I I feel like I was there at the start of I'm a piano visiting South Africa. Yeah, and and I still feel like I'm a guest of the culture. Mm-hmm. So. To me, it feels like such a authentically South African thing to air drum, right? Mm. See the guys from Pretoria, the guys from Johannesburg, the young DJs. I feel like it's their thing. And as far as me being a guest of the culture, I just kind of want to play it and I want to blend it and do my edits and I have the dancers go crazy. But I kind of don't want to do the air drum thing. And, and some people do it and that's cool. But I feel like if I did it, it'd be a little cringe because I'm not South African and I'm just biting too much of their style. I'm already so influenced by what they do, right? right. I'm already taking so much from their culture. I just got to leave something to them. The and that's my leave take. them the air drums. The air drums. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I can keep that. So wait, how do you feel about all these remixes or like all these editors and, and DJ producers making like I'm a piano remixes or like taking like a 702 record and putting it on like, you know, an I'm a piano. Well, I mean, listen, that was the original concept of moma piano right Right. which is the ep i dropped in 20 like is everyone in south africa cool with it do they like the way america is like accepting of i'm a piano or taking it and making it their own kind of yeah i think there's there's two ways to look at um the way south africa looks at the the exportation right of of i'm a piano within the artist community they love it they want to come to New York. I mean, I get hit up weekly with some of the biggest names, you know, in the game to come play at LeBain or to I, see if yeah. I can they can do a set at Everyday People. So they they want to travel. You gotta understand a lot of these people, yeah, they're doing well in South Africa, but it's still goals to play in New York. Right. It's still goals to play in LA. It's still goals to go in the studio with Ty Dollar Sign, which to me, like, yeah, that Ty Dollar Sign's a R and B legend. But why would that want to be be your main goal, right? They want to be out here. They want to collab with people. So I think on the artist um, point of view, they're happy to see people doing I'm a Piano as long as they get credited as the originators, mm-hmm. right? As far as South African Twitter, they just out for blood. They want to call everybody an appropriator. They want to look for the smallest deviation or you're not keeping it true to the sound so they can drag you on Twitter. So there's two different ways to look at it. I think the artist community embraces the exportation of Amapiano as long as they're being credited as the originators. And um, South African Twitter just wants to gatekeep. 
Mm-hmm. Big difference between you, the two. You know what I've been noticing on Twitter? I've been noticing whenever like an Ama Piano like blows up, like a remix or a song blows up, like they're instantly South Africans are saying like, oh, like Nigerians are going to say they made it. Like what is this thing with Nigerians and South Africans? A little bit. I, see, I, I sense can, like a We can get into that if yeah. you guys have some a few minutes. Yeah. We can, we can really get into that. Um, so the Nigerians... The Nigerian music industry, mm-hmm. it just has some of the most talented producers and singers and songwriters in the world. I mean, we hear it with, with Afrobeats, right? Right. And Ama Piano, and you can quote me on this, right, is the single most innovative musical genre since hip-hop. I was there when hip-hop started to a certain extent, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember it changing everything. And when I went to South Africa and I heard Ama Piano, I was like, this is the same feeling I'm getting they're taking existing elements from other genres and they're cooking it up in the perfect way. This is going to fuck everything up, right? Change the game. So South Africans, they contributed that innovation, uh, but no one, no one makes catchy songs and danceable tunes like Nigerians. So Nigerians, they just tacked on everything from the Afro beats um, onto that. And they made that I'm a piano based songs that are actually traveled around the world further than actual I'm a piano songs. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can't go any further than Asake, you know, yeah. the Sumba record, the organized records. Asake is an artist who has taken the infrastructure of I'm a piano and applied all the best elements from Afrobeats, songwriting, melody, harmonizing, guitars, flutes, all these things that you don't always get in Ama Piano. Mm-hmm. And he's made timeless records that get played over and over again. And so the lines are being blurred. You know, some people are saying this is just Afrobeats, which is kind of what I like to call it. I like to call a sake Afrobeats. It's influenced by Ama Piano. Some people who are out there trying to like say inflammatory shit are saying this is Nigerian Amapiano, and it's better than South African Amapiano. Uh, I see. Flaming shit, right? right? Mm-hmm. And then some people are actually saying, let's call it Afropiano to <laughs> distinguish it. Right. And, and just South Africans are out here just getting more and more offended, right? And it's creating this Twitter war between Nigeria and South Africa. Mm. Um, and But that's only because the way Nigerian Afrobeats music is set up is to make pop danceable hits for the radio. Right. Mm-hmm. The way South African Amapiano is set up is to make underground dance music for the club. And out of those two, there's only one that's going to chart, right? There's only one that's going to like, everybody's going to know the words to. Right. Mm-hmm. And most, especially because most Amapiano is not in English. It's in Zulu, it's in Tswana, it's in Kosa, it's in all those South African dialects. While the Afrobeats, it's Nigerian pidgin, but it's still mostly in English. You can catch certain words sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. So That's so interesting. Like, I, w- I was wondering, when I was watching this, I was like, Jesus, I'm like, yo, this is pretty heated. Like, they're, they're just like really after that, just going at it. Yeah, that listen, year. the vast majority of Afrobeats records in that 108 to 120 BPM tempo are based on Amapiano, mm-hmm. literally. They got the lock drum, they got the same kind of shaker, they got the same type of synth and chords. So the way to look at it 
and because I want to mediate a peace between everyone, right. right? Is when hip hop came out and really started to take over, like in the late 80s and the early 90s, by 90, 1990, 1991, you had French hip hop, you know? By 92, you had UK hip hop, maybe around the same time. Mm-hmm. You had German hip hop, you had Japanese hip hop. South African people need to realize that they've created the world's next greatest musical art form since hip hop and they're gonna have to let go in the sense that it's gonna become universal. Mm-hmm. And everyone, I mean, you showed me a clip about um, the Arabic uh, dance party in LA uh, with Sal. DJ Habibi Beats, right? Yeah. Where he took an Afri- um, you know, Arabic track and flipped it in Amapiano. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it went off crazy. Crazy. And this is what's gonna happen. And if you're trying to gatekeep the concept of Amapiano, yeah, you're not gonna be able to. You know? It's kind of like, you know, reggaeton birthing from reggae and dancehall, pretty much. That dembo drum came from dancehall and reggae. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, it birthed a whole new genre of like reggaeton and all this Latin music. And you, you could know? say that part of that dancehall type of rhythm is also at the core of Afrobeats. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And it developed in a in a different way. Um, but the thing is, you know, South African people have a different history. They have more trauma than virtually any other country besides like maybe, you know, black people in the U S like they were under apartheid until 1994. So it wasn't no pop artist coming out from South Africa in the eighties and the nineties. They were under apartheid, Mm -hmm. you know, all the music that they looked, that they listened to a lot of it was from the Western world. It's only after apartheid ended that Kwaito started, that the, the Deep House movement started, and all of those things led to Amapiano, where they finally have their moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And they want to savor it. And for their sake, I wish they could have savored it for five to 10 years mm. before it kind of like blew up, but it's just too good. Yeah. It's too good. Two years, three years, the secret was out, you know? And unfortunately, because of, fortunately and unfortunately, because it's a lot of stock sounds from FLS, Fruity Loop Studios. Mm-hmm. Once you kind of got the formula, it's easy to make. Mm. So it's very easy to make last year's I'm a Piano. The key thing is in South Africa, they're constantly innovating. But didn't you say there's almost too much I'm a Piano now? There's like I mean, too much music sometimes. You Back in, back in South Africa, I'm, I'm acting like I'm from South Africa, right? Like in South Africa... Mm-hmm. There's so much Amapiano and it's played everywhere that they're constantly innovating, constantly. You know, it's like a nuclear war. These guys are in the studio nonstop coming up with new sounds. I sent my engineer, when I did the Janelle Monet remix, I sent it to my engineer. The remix for Float. For Float, yeah. Right. I sent it to my engineer in um, in South Africa. And, you know, I went back and forth with Janelle Monet's camp and with the label to make sure I get it to a place where it's easy to digest. I didn't want to go with like the deepest, the deepest, most craziest Amapiano. You feel me? Mm-hmm. I wanted people to be able to listen to it in the States. I wasn't making it for South Africa. So when I sent it to the homies, all the engineers were like, bro, this sounds like shit from six months ago. I said, A, <laughs> I'm not making it for South Africa, but B, that's a crazy statement that a genre could move so fast that six months ago is washed, right? right? Yeah. 
and and that's that's what you have over there. It's a nuclear arms race. They almost have to slow it down, right? But they can't because I'm I'm gonna get into the economics of it all, okay. right? The top Amapiano DJs and producers, before they make it, they're fucking broke, right? I mean, they live at home, they live in townships, they don't have studios, they don't have nothing. By the time a few of their songs get cooking, they barely get credited. They get credited as the last feature. Mm -hmm. The big dog that everybody knows, I'm not gonna mention names, are gonna be the first two artists listed on Spotify. They'll be the fifth feature with potentially a co-production credit, but maybe not, right? And then by the time they finally make it to being the number one name, they might have a window of two to three years to get all their money. Mm. So when those guys are hot, do you know how many gigs they have in South Africa on one weekend? Try to take a guess. One. Four? No, when they're hot. Every, when every they're day, hot. Every day. Like four. Six, seven? 15 a weekend right oh, shit. they'll book five gigs friday five saturday five sunday and they'll be like one hour sets right and they're just going from gig they gotta make their money there's no economy of like royalties and licensing and all of that for homies to like make a hundred thousand dollars off a record they're only going to eat off of gigs mm -hmm. and then when your shit gets stale you're not getting them gigs anymore because you got all these young kids in the studio cooking up cooking up <clears throat> cooking up and that's why the art form is moving so fast it, they're not willingly going to slow down over there and be like can you guys let us enjoy this like dance hall you know how like dance hall Sounded the same for three years, and then it was three years of another innovation, yeah. and and we got to enjoy or that even, and digest, yeah. or even it. longer than that, yeah, even longer, yeah. No, I'm a piano. Every six months in South Africa, it sounds different. Even like American pop music or hip hop, you know, like there's a, a trend that goes from a mustard trend to a Timbaland trend, but it lasts for about. Four, I feel like four, four, hip hop years. is like every four years. Yeah, every four they, or five years. Yo, not even trap. Trap lasted a decade, a long time. Because if you take some of the Migos. Sounding songs from like what twenty twelve? Mm -hmm. That's when I yeah. think trap started twenty twelve. Yeah. And and you listen to some tracks like Drake. That's a bold Search. Statement. What is that? What's the new Drake record? Searching or what's it called? Uh, Search and Search and Rescue. Oh, Search and Rescue. I mean, I love that track. That's one of my favorite tracks right now. Mm -hmm. But it could have dropped in twenty twelve sonically. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so and 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 that's a whole other discussion as to why you know people are struggling with trap right now. I don't. Well, it's a whole another discussion it. of why hip hop isn't charting as well as yep. right now as well. Yeah. Uh, there's a back to the Alma Piano though. There was a tweet I want to talk to you about. I right, so this DJ tweeted out: American DJs are already treating Alma Piano the same way they played out the same 2000s dancehall tracks. I'm, I mean, he's basically insinuating that American DJs were American DJs. Yes. Um, you know, we're we're playing like the same. On the piano tracks over and over. It's kind of like, you know, a couple years ago when people would do Afro beat sets and they were only playing like Davido and Joanna yeah, and Droba. Okay, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. I don't I don't have a problem but with this, that. But this I think this DJ is from the US. I, okay. I they could be. I don't know. But okay. but they're just kind of like shitting on other American DJs in top forty or crossover rooms or in or maybe not in Afro beats no, I, I, or I'm a piano rooms, you know? I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. You got to know your audience. You got to know your audience. If you're in a mainstream room, you got to do the quick hitter, five or six song set yep. that's going to cut through and resonate. And then you can go back to like hip hop or dance or reggaeton or whatever. I, yeah. If you want to be in a subcultural underground room, then go deep, you know, air all the way to fuck out. But when I was um, 
when I was opening up for Drake, slight flex. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen to this. Crooked. I've been I've been playing. Crooked. I'm a you piano. You gonna let him do that? You gonna let him do that? Just you know, let me get one off. Let me just get one off, right? I just got one off. You know how your friends change. <laughs> they, you know your friends change in, in real time. Yeah, if you know? I would do that in front of Cricket, bloodbath. I would have shut the mics off. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I, a lot of people know me for playing Afro beats, and I'm a piano. Yeah, and I figured there were some people in the audience who knew me because people tagged me or whatnot. But the minute I got into that set, I was like, forget the DJ MoMA brand. Forget whatever people know me for. And I'm a piano song is not going to hit right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I might have dropped Mo Bamba, which I haven't played at Everyday People in a couple years. But I was like, I got to do what I got to do. You feel me? Damn. I was in London. <laughs> he got real sassy there. I like that. I got yeah. to do what I got to do. I was in London last week, and I hadn't played... Um, Swag surfing all year. I'm a swag surfing advocate, by the way. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm not a dreams and nightmare guy. I'm a swag surfing I think you advocate. Brought, I think wait, you wait, wait. <laughs> Are you saying there's a dreams and nightmare guy yeah. and there's a swag surfing guy? Like, yeah. well, no, but like, no, you know when they used to say <laughs> when they used to say like you either like Elvis Presley or you like the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. No, what, what I'm saying <laughs> that is that saying? there's the endless debate. Oh, these records are washed. Yeah. You got to retire them. I do feel you though. I ride for swag surfing. I don't ride. I'm for a dreams swag. And I'm a swag surfer. I'm a swag surfer. The same way too. Yeah. More than way. I am a dream tonight. That's because we're all DJs who <laughs> like to mix records and to like uh, keep the party going. And dreams and nightmares doesn't make sense unless you play the whole intro, right? Yeah. Uh, if ever somebody dropped an eight bar intro for dreams and nightmare that goes into like hold up, wait a minute, I would yank their USB, right? That would be the dumbest shit ever. I hope to God it doesn't exist. I think they do that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's know. like dropping hypnotize on an intro, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but my point is, I was in London and I felt like they don't hear a certain type of hip hop as much as we do in the States. Mm -hmm. So I was like, let me go into this bag of washed records and I played Swag Surfing and it went off insane. Bigger than I've seen it in years, right? So all I'm trying to say is that you have to know your audience. And if ever you're in a mainstream room or like a, some sort of crossover room, that's not the time to educate, especially if you're playing in prime time. Yep. Yep. So if you got a three to four, I'm a piano quick hitter set, just do that and get out of it. Now, mind you, I don't know the context of his tweet. Maybe he's tweeting about he was in an I'm a piano party and some American DJ was a guest DJ, and they still went and played like the top five I'm a piano songs. He, he might have been alluding to that. But as far as. But even if that happens, is that bad? How, how can you be mad at No, I mean, for, if, like, if that happens, that's not bad. That's just a missed opportunity, right? If you're gonna be in the subcultural room, mm -hmm. go crazy. You can go deep in your crates. Right. You know, you can let songs play for like four minutes and, and come up with like creative loops and blends and things of that nature. I was gonna say though, like, but why would you get mad if this is a genre that just keeps growing within every six months? How do you expect one DJ from a whole other country to be up on shit more than, you know? You know, I think sometimes when um, you, you're part of, uh, you know, a movement and you were doing it when, when, when no one knew it, once it kind of blows up, you have this, you feel like you have this ownership and you feel like you're kind of letting go of it because everyone's playing it and it's just human nature. And then you kind of get tweets like that or maybe people start to like, um, express feelings that are better like kept to themselves you know I try not to hate on on Twitter I try yeah, to only right. like say positive things if I feel like something is bothering me I try except for that 
my tweet about uh I was about Serato to get on stems <laughs> and it's I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't let go of that one. I had Wait, to let it Explain that, explain that. Well you went off a couple of times, so I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. He's gone off a little bit. Have know? I? Yeah. Right. You want me to bring you want me to bring up the receipts? I got the receipts. What you got here. on me going I got off on you, Twitter? I got a couple of things. Oh, the DJs with the agents. Yeah. Yes. I but, but we'll get to the DJs with the agents. Oh my God, the DJs with the agents. But All let's right. talk about what you're saying with Serato Stems. Because Serato Stems and uh, you know, Mo and I talk a lot. And you know, Serato Stems have changed the game. The yeah. game for you in, in every way. Hmm? Yeah, Serato Stems is the single greatest innovation to DJing since Serato. And I remember when Serato um, came out, I was still on vinyl, and Crooked was the first guy that I knew on Serato that had a really diesel library. Like, he kind of had everything. I think you kind of clicked up with Airs and Eleven and other, like... Yeah, we were all trading. You guys were all trading, yeah. you know? And Because by the time you start, I started, you gave me a whole library, which was a result of you trading with all those people. That's yeah. why I always give my library to everyone, because I'm like, yo, Crooked gave me his library. So I'm not trying to gatekeep nothing. I, I gotta give a shout out to DJMs. DJMs, you had a lot of DJMs. I have a lot of DJMs, so shout to DJMs. Yeah. Like he was putting in work, but then I also put in a lot of like vinyl. I ripped a lot of vinyl. I have a lot of your rips and, uh, and, 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 and in my Serato. Same here, yeah. And, and, I mean, and yeah. still, when I play them and they pop, the sound guy looks at me crazy and I'm like, yo, it's vinyl. Take it easy. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. There's, like a, there's a couple of records. You can still hear the vinyl crackling. Yeah, that Brandy remix of uh, Full Moon. <laughs> that shit. Yeah, yeah. And, oh. I, and I made the extended intro. And you did it. the extended intro too. Oh yeah. God. So, but and, anyway, my point is that Serato stems, when, when Serato came out, it, it changed the game. Mm -hmm. yeah. We were just like, this is crazy. It's like we have three extra decks three extra hands, right? We can do so much more. 18 years, or Serato came out in 2005. Mm -hmm. That's when we adopted it. Yeah. What I'm trying to say that as revolutionary as that was back then, right. that's what STEMS is now to right. me. Let's nerd out a little bit. Let's talk about the setup you have. Right. Because I actually didn't consider using STEMS in the way you use it with this like external controller. one sample. Yeah, with like a sequencer. Right. Yeah. Which is like hard to get now. The Pioneer? Apparently. I've had it for a few years. I just had it sitting around. Because it costed you, what, like 250 when you initially bought it? Yeah. I'm I think it's on. Guitar Center, Sam Ash, and I copped it, and it was just sitting there. But that was like, what, six years ago, four years ago, five? I don't know, bro. I really don't know. Maybe Yeah, but more. now it's like on Amazon for like $700. Are, are they discontinued? I think it is. Yeah. That explains it. Yeah. but So you use that to trigger all the stems? I use that because, A, if you're on a 900 mixer mm -hmm. you don't have pads for stems right, right? Mm -hmm. but b if i'm on an s11 i'm doing so much and i'm moving so fast i don't even want to toggle between the banks on the s11 mm -hmm. i either want to leave the, the banks on hot cues or sampler and i want the stems to be there for me at all times so i'm using the additional sp1 sampler we're so old school i feel the same exact way yeah, but I, I see mean, all these. Like, I see all these dudes like Gia Spinoza and like all these other DJs, Spider Tech. They're switching through like yeah, yeah. the fucking. Banks, I don't, like, don't want to toggle because I don't want to like make a mistake. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah, uh, but also there's some things that I do where I need to be hitting hot cues and the stems at the same time. Yeah, technically I could do that on the CDJ. 3000 which right. because you have pads. the cue points there you have the pads there but if you if you're stuck with a, a 2000 that only has four pads right. and you need to get to that fifth 
cue point, mm-hmm. then it's like, and then you're looking at your laptop and then it's just too much going on. It's like Starship Enterprise console, you know? So I'm, I'm happy with the SB1. That's dope. I like the way you set it up. Yeah. And then I've listened to your sets and they sound amazing. I was at LeBain at Dance, Dance, Dance and I've, I rarely stay at a spot for maybe more than an hour and a half. I was there for like three hours. Like listening, Dope. not only that, I was just hypnotized by the I'm a piano percussions, and the sound system in there is so fucking good at LeBain. Yeah, it's one of the and best. that mixer. I love that mixer. What is it? The the V10. The V10. They have the V10 oh and sometimes God. the 900, but the V10. The V10 is like the sound coming out of the V10 is like orgasmic. I'm like I like close my eyes and I listen to the I'm a piano percussions. And it's just hitting me. I'm just like, oh my god! Yeah. It sounds oh, so. Shit, it sounds it sounds so good. The V10 adds to the whole like Starship Enterprise element. So if if, if I have a MacBook, yeah, and I have CDJs three thousands, and I have an SP1 sampler, and then I have a V10, it's like I'm playing three dimensional chess for four hours. Oh my god! By the time I'm done, I'm like, I need to like take a bath or Dude, something. You putting in work. Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm having fun. Like, you know, I didn't think I'd be having this much fun DJing 20 years in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I'm going to say 100% because of Serato Stems. So you're not a a flash, a stick guy, right? That comes to the gig with sticks. He used to be. No, like, let's put it this way. Um, Because I got to, I got to, I can't front. I'm seeing a lot of like DJs, like our peers doing sticks. And I like I'm actually very envious because like I've said, I love the efficiency of traveling light. Yep. You know, like I love that. But at the same time, I feel like it's almost like we're stifling like our sets a little bit. Because there's all this technology like the stems and there's all these things you can do. Yeah. But we're like we're almost going backwards. And I feel like a lot of our peers have gone to sticks mm-hmm. because the youth are on sticks and they're like, hey, like I want to look relevant too. I want to look cool and hip, so I'm going to go on sticks. I don't want to look like an old DJ. And it's just like, yeah, I don't. Or like, either that, or they're like all the all the big dudes, all the EDM guys are on sticks. So I'm going to go on sticks, so I look more official. Well, that's the thing. It's like, are you an an open format DJ or are you a specialist? Right. Mm-hmm. If you're a specialist, then by all means, rock the sticks, right? Because most specialists have a set in mind, right? They don't all necessarily have the whole thing mapped out, but they have a they have a set. They have, like a they have a roadmap for what they're gonna do, right? And a lot of the specialists on sticks, they have a lot of exclusives. Mm-hmm. So if you watch all these people on Boiler Room, a lot of times they're playing edits that no one's ever heard. So why why do you need a laptop? Why do you need an SB one to do that? The work is the impact is in the actual record, the actual MP3 or WAV file, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But if you're just like an open format guy who's got to read a room and keep them excited and keep them on their toes and switch shit up for like three to four hours, you know, why would you be on sticks? That is just like neutering yourself, right? And I don't care what anyone says, right? Whatever you can do on a stick, you can probably do that 150% better on Serato. Yeah, you could do right? it faster and better. You could do it faster, on more accurately. You can improvise more. You can search quicker. But if you if your sets are so good, right, 
and your selection is so dope that you only need to operate at 70% of your capacity as a DJ, then by all means, rock the sticks. But if you're like in a highly competitive environment like I am, where I need to be 100% of DJ MoMA every night, then I'm going to be on Serato, right? Unless you're inviting me to play a, a deep house party where I know we're going to play songs for like four and a half minutes, or maybe even if you're inviting me to play an I'm a piano set, which by the way, I'll probably not do on sticks right now, then that's understandable. But if you want me to like juggle rhythms, you know, do a little quick Drake medley, play some dance hall, play some Afro beats to do that on sticks. I'm just like, why there's the technology that's going to allow me to do it so much better and so much cleaner and so much faster. You know, that's my take on it. And I don't want to hear nothing from USB DJs because I did dance, dance, dance on sticks for like eight years. I was yeah. going to say that. That's a, you know, yeah. me and Ellie were doing parties together on sticks for like eight years. And and Ellie might hate me for quoting him on this. But since I've been on the stems, you know, he's been like, oh, dude, this sucks. I don't want to DJ after you. Like, you're doing all this fucking crazy shit, you know? It is. It's true. And like, he sees it, you know? It's true because like after all these years of us DJing, you know, we've always won. You know, we we're manually taking out bass lines. We're trying to trying to take out. They, we're tr using trims. Yeah. We're using like we're trying to take out the drums. We're trying to like you know uh, you know muffle it. We're trying to do all these things with the EQs that the stems are allowing us to do. Yeah. To the actual tracks. Yeah. So it's like if if you've been DJing this way for all this long, why it's not? like why are you gonna you have this tool that's like giving you unlimited. Yeah. access to the to the songs and I have a lot of USB homies hitting me up they're like yo I'm, I might consider switching to, to stems to yeah. Serato I'm like yo knock yourself out it, it's a lot of fun but now mind you this is not to gloat right I'm not here to be like oh y'all USB DJs are living in the past that's not it because what's gonna happen is the technology is gonna catch up right, right? so when when we started on <clears throat> Serato and this is the first thing I, I told you this I don't know if you remember I was like, oh shit, this is so revolutionary, but it's going to make turntables obsolete because the fact that we have to get a needle to um, a, a piece of vinyl with a time-coded signal, this is pointless and we got to deal with tone arms and we got to deal with grounding. The first thing I saw was like, this is going to go away, right? And now- you know, we got CDJs, we got controllers, we got ref sevens, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what's going to happen with the stems is that ultimately the technology is going to be built into the CDJs. I don't think turntables are going to go away though. Even like it's like, it's almost annoying, but a lot more gigs that I've been doing have turntables. Oh. And no, no, I don't think you're catching my point. Yeah, this yeah. is not about turntables going away. Okay. This is about not trying to pit serato stems djs as being superior to usb stick djs because ultimately the technology is going to catch up within the cdj mm -hmm. the cdj is going to have the functionality of the stems no yeah. for sure they're it's, already and, talking and at about that point it. yeah it's it doesn't matter whether you're serato wants everybody at that point is going to be on a stick yeah because the yeah because the pioneers are going to have stems soon they're gonna have. They're gonna. They're already working on. Yeah, it. it's yeah. gonna catch up. Yeah, every and then you know. This I honestly think that's why they they acquired um, Serato. Until we get to such a point where the Serato stem, the full functionality, is in the CDJs, I'm not willing to live in the past and play on sticks. Like, there's an opportunity right now. Whether if it's 18 months or two years or three years, 
to really come up with like revolutionary, super exciting DJ sets. And that can only happen right now on Serato. And maybe by 2025, everybody can do it on a stick and that's beautiful. And then we're going to have to figure out a new way to innovate and keep DJing interesting. But I think it mostly helps when you have kind of a production background. When you know how music works, you can really utilize stems at, at, at its best, I feel like. Oh, yeah. When you, you understand. Well, you have it. to be in key. Mm-hmm. You have to know when to drop the bass lines. You have to know how to echo out um, the vocals. Uh, you have to know your tracks really well. You have to know what's a four-bar intro, a one-bar. Mm-hmm. You have to know when the beat comes in. Like, you know, it's it's a lot of fun for me because I do feel like I'm using my brain almost like when I first started using Serato. Mm-hmm. Did you use stems while you were opening it for Drake? Yeah, because I do a blend. I have like a set that goes from like, um, you know, Uzi, I just want to rock into a Jersey Club version of Dreams and Nightmares, ironically, mm-hmm. you know, that one really goes off. And then Which I take version that, is it? Is it um, low low budgets? I don't know. I couldn't find it anywhere. I actually ripped it off uh, YouTube. Like I'm dead really? ass. I'm not even Dang. too proud to admit. Like I needed it, and I ripped it off YouTube, and it just kind of does its thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I use that to go either into like uh, you know no bystanders or like right, uh, right, right. or like Grove Street Party. And a lot of that stuff, I was like stemming out to keep it going with the Jersey beat underneath, right? Mm-hmm. Until I dropped out of Jersey back into trap. Right. It's the beautiful thing of, yeah. of stems to do that. Yeah. Well, so, it, go ahead. No, because there's such like a, a, a symbiotic relationship between trap and Jersey. Like they're just made for each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. trap ran out of energy and, mm-hmm. and, and Jersey is slightly repetitive you know, so they're just made for each other. Like it's a great. It just takes the energy up another notch. Take the energy it, of Jersey yeah. with like the sing along aspect of all these trap records that people right. know. They're just made for one. It's another. almost like trap EDM to a certain degree because yeah. you're getting yeah. a build up, right? And then you're hitting the Jersey Yo, Club, that, which I is mean, double time. Listen, you know that I Spice Deli record. Yeah, it's so hard. <laughs> you know what I've seen about the I Spice records? Like the, it's either hot or cold. Like it either works or it does not work at all. Like yeah. these, these, like these shorties hate Ice Spice. They either fucking hate it. They don't fuck with it. Have you met? Have you seen rooms with women who don't like Ice yes. Spice? Yes. Mostly, I would say shorties from down south. A lot of down south shorties do not. But you're fuck also in New York though, so you see. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, I, New York, like New York, LA, kind of fucking love it in New York. Right? I haven't seen. No, I like seen, I, I've DJed for crowds with like you know they like south like southern country girls like you know wilding out to every every rapper from Meg, Glorilla, um, Red Sexy, all of them, all of them just wilding out, put on Ice Spices like. But this depends, bitch. It depends which, which, which they make ones that you face. Play. They're like this bitch. It depends which ones you play. Because right now, like Munch, the energy's out from Munch. But if you play like, wait, which one? Is Any Princess, of them. Diana. Princess Diana. Any it's of keep them. it a stack, right? Any of them. Any of them. Bro. Nah, Princess Diana hits. See, you're in New York too long. Like rah, nah, nah, keep nah, it nah. a stack. <laughs> that shit is so. Hard. I like that song. I like that song. That shit is so hard. It's either hot. It's very hot and cold, man. It's very. Let me hot tell you, we had Telfar. The designer mm-hmm. DJ at Everyday People last month under the K Bridge. Y'all get some uh, like you know purses? some handbags, some handbags, some goodie bags. I'll put you on the mailing list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a girlfriend now. I got a, you know? He when he played Princess Diana, that shit went so fucking hard. I was like, this is a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Um, it's been real hit or miss for me. Either, either but the South, I've been hearing that Barbie won a lot also. The Barbie, Barbie won, yeah. Yeah, Barbie, yeah. Barbie, we're going to have to play it. We're going to have to play it in the same capacity that we played a Pink Pantherist record with a... I, that's a really good record. That's a good that's record. A good, that's it, a but really it, it's, good the Barbie record. record is not a good record. Actually, that Panthers record is the only one that really works no matter what for me. That's a mm. great record. That's not a hit or miss for me. That's like a that's it, it could be hit or miss sometimes. That's interesting. Anyway, I ride I see more dudes wilding out. Spice, if so, anybody from Ice Spice's team is watching this, I'm team Ice Spice. What's the name of her You're stance? A munch. I'm a munch. Yo, I'm, I'm a munch. I'm from the Bronx, so I gotta support <laughs> You're a munch, all the Bronx artists. So I, yeah, I support Ice Spice. Hey. For them for them vote. Hey, yo. What are you then? Say who you are. Huh? You support it. Who are you? Supporting Ice Spice, man. Yeah, but what is that are, a spice you? are you? Spice cabinet. Is name. That, are we the Spice cabinet? I want to hear no, never no, say no, I'm. No. I want to hear never say I'm a munch. You're a munch. No. I would never say that. <laughs> <laughs> never just say I'm a munch. I'm not gonna say that. No? Uh, Come on. Uh, exactly. That's where it I stops, support Ice Spice from the Bronx because you're. Uh, <laughs> say it because I'm because uh, I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with all the positive talk, we're talking about stems, right? You still went off on Twitter saying that motherfuckers using stems for like their edits though. Like they're selling Bandcamp edits. Yeah, it's you don't it's here's the thing with stems, right? And you went off on that. I kinda went off, yeah. The thing with stems is that for what it does in the moment, Live. it's unreal. In real time. In real time, mm-hmm. it's just a technological marvel, mm-hmm. like dead up, right? And the the acapellers are so clean, it's unreal. For real time. For real time, for fake time, the acapellers are really clean, right? What happens with the beat in real time is a lot of information. If you strip the acapella to create an instrumental, a lot of the information from the beat is lost, uh, especially in the low end and even in the high end. Mm -hmm. And I think you might have said it sounds like- A walkie-talkie. Like a walkie-talkie. That's how the instrumental ends up sounding. So if you're doing it to kind of come up with ideas, it's brilliant. If you're doing it to do a live blend in real time at the party, it's brilliant. If you're gonna print it, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're gonna print it through the Serato record feature, which already has a crazy compressor on it. It's a dope compressor, but it has more compression on it. Then by the time you send that out to the world, you export it as an MP3 or as a wave, it just sounds terrible. Yeah, It sounds terrible. And if you want to kind of like, if you want to bring your idea to life, then take it one step further. Well, right? like if you're saying, so you, if you want to take, let's say this live blend that you're doing with Serato Stems and you want to make an edit and you want to sell it or if you want to share it and make an MP3 or WAV file yeah. and send it out, they shouldn't be using Serato Stems it, at all. It just doesn't sound good enough. Like mm-hmm. once you put that track in your library but of, people are doing it and they're people selling are doing it, it but this, at the same time people are ripping youtubes right, right. like I, yeah. I ripped a youtube i said it earlier but it was an emergency i couldn't find the track anywhere else you know yeah. but like youtubes don't sound good Mm-mm. you know what i'm saying that's just I a don't. fact and a lot of those uh exports of serato stems once it's exported through Serato, it's almost like a YouTube, a little bit better than yeah. the YouTube, right? Like there's there's a blend that I fucking love. I fucking love this blend. It's M- Matthias from DC. It's like Iskaba with Iskaba uh, with, with Beyonce Heat. That is dead up the best Serato stems Edit. blend that's yeah, yeah. out there. It's you know? the best. It's, it's the, the best. Ma- one. Every time I play the original Iskaba and I go into the Beyonce his yeah. version, this Matthias edit, yeah. 
everyone fucking goes bananas. It's it, it's amazing. It's so and, good. And if I were to have done that edit, yeah. Um, well, slight flex. You know, I would have hit up DJ Tunes and begged them for the instrumental for Iskaba, right? Yeah. But in the absence of having access to like DJ Tunes, there's like other tools you can use. Um, Stemverter, right? Stemverter is really good. create the instrument off of Stemverter or the acapella. Although the acapellas from stems are great, you can use them for an edit. But mo most importantly, the instrumental. There's it's the a, beat that's the problem. It's right? the, beat it's the beat when it's it's lacking the ass. You feel me? Mm. Or like, um, <laughs> boy, there's uh, hey, uh, Iso hey, Isotope yo. makes a RX audio editor, which is probably like the first uh, software that was used to kind of like segment all the different like sounds and shit. Just take it a step further. If you're gonna print it, if you're gonna put it on Bandcamp, if you're gonna put it on SoundCloud. You came up with the idea in stems, and you know, stems is easy. You got your cue points right there. Everything's locked in. You can put it in sync, which I use. Uh, but if you're going to print it, take it a step further. Separate the instrumental and the vocals with maybe like a, a higher grade software, mm -hmm. and then put them together in, Surat in uh, Ableton with the right EQ, and then share it with the world. Now, mind you, another caveat, right? It's only a matter of time before stems is as powerful as Stemverter when it comes to separation yeah. or is as powerful as Isotope. And when we get to that point, this whole conversation will be moot again, right? Yeah. But until the technology is there, we just got to do a little bit extra work. So we, we're going to go on to your second like DJ Twitter rant, right? Where you were, <laughs> I have the receipts here. I, I'll read the <laughs> shit, I'll read it, but- Go ahead. Your, your Twitter rant was about DJs who want to like, do events with you who want to get booked. Oh, I don't but even then, get me started. But then they pass they pass you on to their agent. Yep. Um, you said DJs ask to rock our events, meaning everyday people. Yes. Uh, we say bet. And then they put us on an email with their agent. Respectfully, if you think I want to deal with WME, CAA, UTA, all agencies, just to get you a one-hour set at a sold-out grassroots event, then you probably don't get what any of this is all about. Someone actually replied to you and they said, you know, they agreed with you, but they said in the artist's defense, you know, it's bad blood to do shows on the side of having an agent. Meaning like no one wants to go around an agent. The agent gets pissed. They want to be the, the face of these transactions or negotiations. And then you replied, we can go and go through agents as long as the DJs brief them on the gig at hand. My rant is more about DJs or their managers who pass this on to the agent without contextualizing it for them. And then we get quoted the Coachella rate. Ends up being a waste of time for everyone. It's pretty sensible. Pretty, oh yeah, from you. Because <laughs> I said it. <laughs> so can you elaborate on that? Can you explain a little bit more? Yeah. So Has I, this been happening a little bit more recently? It's been happening a lot. You know, it's been happening a lot. And this only applies when these DJs Ask to rock the party. They have to ask to rock the party. You're not soliciting. I'm not there. soliciting. Yeah. And they'll be like, or they're at the party every week. And I see them there. And I can tell when the DJ has the big eyes, like, I want to be up there and I want to kill it too. <laughs> and I can see that, right? I've never seen this type of moment. And I'm just like, well, let's fucking put you on. And you then know? they hit you with the well, Coachella, right? I, I want to maybe start with is this a good thing though like djs are getting representation now like you know they're blowing up or is it you know all right so it's good for djs to be represented it's good for djs to have managers right 
and agents. You know, I encourage that. You know, have somebody out there with your best interest in mind and and, and get you that bag, right? Be- because I do that. If I can pass something off to my agent, because I'm so sometimes I'm busy. You know what I mean? And it's like, yo, I. But I usually tell them what's the deal. I'll tell them like, look, I want to do this gig. Like, it's kind of like a homie. Like, it's the homie's party. So, like, money isn't really an issue. Um, so, just, like, you know, just finalize it. Let's try to let's fit it in the calendar somehow. Right. You know, but there's other places where, like, recently, motherfuckers have been hitting me up. And they'll say, like, hey, can you do this date for my party? And I'll usually look at it and I'll be like, yo, no doubt. I got you. And I don't even bring up a rate. I don't even, like, ask what the ra- what's the rate? Or, like, what are you charging? And some of it is out of town. Sometimes I'm in town. Sometimes I got to fly. But I would, I'd never, ever say, if I'm going to do a homies party and they're reaching out to me, and it's like, I know there's only a handful of DJs they ask. I'm actually honored to do the party. So I wouldn't even tell them like about a rate. Because at this point, it's like, yo, we homies. This is like, this goes beyond money. Mm-hmm. This is even like, even the look. I appreciate the look. The fact that you even reaching out to me, I appreciate this look. And it's like, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to do the best that I can for your party. So at this point, I'm just like, yo, just tell me where it is and I'll try to, I'll make it happen. I don't even bring up a rate. And then usually they hit me up afterwards and they'll be like, yo, you know, this is what I could send. I'll be like, yo, no doubt. Sometimes I'll be like, yo, I don't even want nothing. You know, like I don't, I don't want that money. But that, that's the best case scenario, right? Right. You're somebody who has an understanding of DJ culture. You have somebody who has an understanding of what it takes to build up grassroots events to the point where they get really popular and and successful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is basically the support of the community, right? Mm -hmm. But no matter how successful a grassroots uh, event is, it's still never going to pay the same as a corporate event or a festival, right? But you kind of understand that nuance, because you've been in the game for so long, right? But now what you have is you have DJs who are blowing up or getting successful through non-traditional routes, mm-hmm. not the nightlife, not clubbing, not a grassroots events through either a viral moment on social media, uh, a viral blend on TikTok, a viral set on Boiler Room, or uh, production, you know, some really talented producers. And these could all be really good DJs, right? But because they haven't really elevated through kind of like that school of hard knocks, when they get hit up with a gig, there's no distinction for them. If Coachella hits them up, talk to my agent. If Everyday People hits you up, talk to my agent. Those two are not one and the same. Coachella is Coachella, right? A corporate event is a corporate event. If everyday people or the do-over or whatever other event hits you up, it's because we kind of assume you're part of this DJ community, right? And if you're part of this DJ community, there's a different type of etiquette. One, you don't just blindly send us to the manager and the agent. Mm -hmm. You have to be there for the intro, whether it's via text or via email, right? That's one. Two, If you actually want to do the party and you understand we don't have these corporate budgets, you have to tell your manager or your agent, be like, by the way, this is my friend or this is my community. Those are my peoples. I really want to do it because I'm going to be in L.A. or I'm going to be in New York. Just just make it happen, please. Right. And this is a message for the newer DJs. That's coming up right now. Not even newer. It's anybody who is basically 
using a one size fits all approach to agents, mm-hmm. right? Because some DJs get agents later on in their career, some get them earlier on. But the ones that get it later on should know better. They should know better. Yeah. 100%. Typically they do. Part of it is kind of like laziness because it's more emails, more text messages, and they pass you on to a manager who isn't briefed. And then the manager passes you on to an agent who definitely isn't briefed. And then you come back with a crazy rate and a crazy rider, tech and hospitality. And you're like, this was a waste of my time. Yeah. At that point, you just got to tell your agent or, or your booking agent like, yo, do the I'm, work, off that, man. I'm off that whole hey, Sunday. Do so the, honestly, yeah. for me, I always remember Questlove. He was hanging out at a couple of the parties downtown. And then I had a gig at the Guggenheim. And I was like, oh, this would be a great gig if I could get Questlove to guest with me, right? So I hit him up. I was like, yo, Quest, I got a Guggenheim. Fucking would you? Flats. Go ahead. I was like, we'd be honored. I know, he's like a real name dropper today, huh? <laughs> yo, you dropped something over there. I ain't <laughs> mad at them. You know, I mean, like, you know, he just came from LA, so I'm not mad. I understand. I was y'all. like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm going to keep going regardless. <laughs> yo. I was like... I was like, we'd be honored. And yo, he took the time and he was like, yo, that's dope. He knew with the budget that there was no way he could do it, right? But he was like, yo, I'm, I'm passing you on to, to my manager, Dawn, right? And he connects me with Dawn and she took the time. She broke it down to me. She was so nice. She kind of explained the rate structure compared to what I was coming with mm-hmm. and kind of let me know that it wasn't feasible, even though he really wanted to do it. And I was like, this motherfucker is one of the biggest DJs in the world. And he took the time to brief her, mm-hmm. you know? And they they put me down. They tucked me in so nicely, right? Yeah, like, Give me a, a kiss on the forehead. Sorry, Mo. And then, yeah. But that's what it is, right? It's it's the attention to be like, to put a little bit extra tender love and care. But it's not- To what, everything that you're doing. No, no, it, it matters. It's like- it's like when a fan comes up or when a, a young DJ comes up yeah, of to talk to them. It's just like that extra attention to be to give a little bit of like to be a little more sincere, a little more earnest about all your dealings. You know what I'm but saying? But that should that should be a given. That shouldn't be like, something. not a given though. No, no. it's just like, like like if Momo hits me up, I'm gonna be like, yo, okay, like you know, if I have to brief somebody, that's not lazy. That's not a hard thing to do. I that's think a lot of people see or a lot of DJs see the opportunity to spin at EP as just a notch. On a belt, yeah, that's yeah. that's like okay, like let me get this out of the way, like now, like once I do this, I'm solidified, I'm, I'm good, I'm yeah. set. I just need a, the next thing to solidify me. It's kind of like the way they start looking at their DJ career, like yeah, but you, you know, know, I'm I'm also like pretty discerning, and and I can tell those DJs from the ones who are truly part of our community. I, but I also feel like you would give a motherfucker a chance. We've we've given so many people a chance, but it's not just about that. Sometimes. They've given us a chance, you know. When we were building our parties, some DJs with like huge status rocked it. I remember when Goldfinger rocked everyday people in 2013. We couldn't believe Goldie was doing it, you know. And he shelled, he shelled so hard. We still remember that set. Me and Rich Knight still talk about that set. So yeah, we give people opportunities. Some people have given us opportunities. The whole point is that it's a community and it's supposed to like the relationship is supposed to be both ways. But if I feel like you have really zero interest in the community and it's more about like advancing your career, then I'm I'm more interested in giving somebody else a look. It's just so crazy too. Like you mentioned Goldfinger. Like there's so many DJs I looked up to. There's so many DJs I worshiped. And like he has been the utmost professional, coolest. Nicest guy. Like I just, I can't say enough about DJs like Goldfinger. Like even to this day, he like he'll listen to certain episodes and he'll DM me, you know. 
He'll crack jokes at me all the time. Like he'll, sh- yeah. he'll like you know shit on me. Like that's not it. Cricket. He shits on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he always gives me the emoji, rolling eyes, yeah. gold finger emoji. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he always tells yeah, me like yeah. in the in the DMs like, yeah, you've gone Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's his favorite real word. With you. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're like, fully really? Hollywood. He, he tells me like, you're not welcome in Brooklyn no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. But it's it's like someone like that. Like you know, he changes my perspective on a lot of the industry and a lot of the people that you could interact with just that you know the attention he gives you and the professionalism i mean and his his authenticity and his earnestness like it's just to me it's commendable like yo but those are the guys that from the times you maybe went to their gigs as a fan mm-hmm. yeah to maybe the times that you booked them right as somebody on the come up to the point where they booked you as somebody who kind of finally made it they just behave the same way, right? Yeah. They're just consistent and they're like really, really thorough. And that's something that it's, I kind of like based the way I act on those guys. They really influenced me a lot, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you see people who maybe don't have the same bird's eye view, who are not able to zoom out and see somebody's whole career. And yeah, they get an edit or two that pop off and they, they may possibly go Hollywood and yeah. that's the kind of treatment you get. It and, happens. It happens. happens a lot. Especially, it happens at a younger age, but it, it also happens to people in their 30s. I peeped it too, you know? Mm-hmm. It rarely happens to the dudes in, in, in their 40s unless they're like maladjusted, you know? I've noticed a lot of weird shit with motherfuckers in their 40s though. Like, I've oh, just been yeah. like... Maybe it's like a midlife crisis and it's all being like yeah. mixed in. No. I miss it. I've just witnessed a lot of motherfuckers acting real like crazy in their 40s, man. Mm. Like, and I've had to just like cut, like just cut motherfuckers off. Just like... Yeah, take a step. It's back. just been nuts. So moving forward, if a DJ who does want to do EP, they have to go about the right way of doing it. Yeah. Ideally, what would you like? No, I think maybe I'm. I'm gonna probably try to dedicate less time to make such a concerted effort to try to put so many people on. Really? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna like reduce the rotation. Because also at some point, I'm going to start to like DJ everyday people less. I can't keep traveling to like 30, 40 cities in the span mm-hmm. of like a couple months. It's just it's just too much, right? So I'm, I'm, I will no longer really be booking guest DJs to kind of bookend my sets. I'm going to be looking at people who can carry three to four hours. And once you get to that, it's only a handful, you know. There's maybe like 10 to 12 DJs that I can think of that can do that. And just for my own personal health... And wellness, I'm going to be leaning more into that. We'll still be able to look back to 10 years of having booked, I don't know, 600 DJs or something. You know, we can look back on that fondly and look back on it with pride. But this constant, like, merry-go-round of, you know, booking 200, 250 DJs a year, it's, it's too much. Who are you yeah. going to pass the baton to, do you think? DJ For kind of, like, to hold down, like, the, the bulk of the set. Mm-hmm. To kind of make sure that the everyday people experience is being held together. Yeah. It's probably nobody better than Rich Knight. Simply right. because he's my co-resident DJ and he's been with me at Everyday People since the very beginning, since 2013, more or less. And um, there's many instances where if I'm not there and he's holding down four hours, there's no issues. I don't get any complaints. I don't get people don't notice that I'm not there because I'm not vocal on the mic. I have Gito. So with Gito hosting and being on the mic, 
as long as the musical experience is kind of the same mm -hmm. and we're hitting all the spots that that Beyonce moment, the Afrobeat moment, the little Amapiano, the trap, the dancers get involved. People are fine with it, you know. Rich Knight is, has been with you for so long. He's one of like the coolest, like even-headed, nicest motherfuckers that yeah. no I, I, ego, no ego, no ego. It's unreal. He puts the party first. Every yeah. time I've seen him, whether it's he has to do tech work, audio work, engineering, he's there. He's just helping the party. Yeah. There's all this behind-the-scenes stuff that he's helping with, and he's like, he's open, he's closed, he's done, he's played every position. He's like been a part of every uh, catastrophe or like good moment. He's like, seen it all. He's seen it all. So he's the perfect person uh, to kind of pass the baton to. I think. Shout and to he's Rich Knight, incredible yeah. DJ. And I feel like it's his time, yo. Like he, you know, he, he'll, he'll be uh, taking the reins. That'll be great. Yeah, but you know, he's like a pretty accomplished dude. Yeah, uh, has had a, a day job. Just completed a an MBA at USC. Dang. You know, so he yeah, you were at his graduation. Yeah, yeah, I was at his graduation. He could not DJ if he wanted to and just go like fully work corporate. But mm -hmm. you know, he's got his 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 toes dipped in both worlds, kind of like I had for yeah. so many years until I picked the street. You right. know what I mean? I that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> I picked the street. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to keep you too long. Wait, where are you headed to LA or New York? Uh, but you just came York. from LA. I just came from LA. You did the, oh, you did the Arsenal. The that's the right. Arsenal. You're such a big Arsenal fan. Yeah, I mean. This to me is the moment that really had me gas. <laughs> you know what, man? I'm gonna end this fucking podcast. This moment, <laughs> not not the Drake moment, the Janelle Monae this moment. No. moment I mean, life. listen, listen, the Drake moment, the Beyonce moment, oh my the, the Janelle Monae. I don't consider it a moment because we've had oh, a long relationship for ten years. No, Gold, Goldie's right. You get Hollywood, yeah. but man. you get the Arsenal, Hollywood. No, the, the Arsenal thing. I was straight up a fanboy because I'm just a fan of the club. You know, I wake up at like 6 a.m. to catch the Premier League on a Saturday morning or like, I, you know, two in the afternoon on a how, Wednesday how I'm many, watching Champions how League. How many Arsenal jerseys do you have? I don't know, bro, He's bro. wearing the pants right now. Like yeah, 50? No, listen. <laughs> maybe like, like every color. Maybe like 20 jerseys. I've been supporting the team since 96 and maybe I have like 20 jerseys. I have endless amount of like track suits, I got like the warm-ups. It's kind of like what I wore exclusively right. for like six or seven years, you know? So wait, they so they hit you up? How did this happen? So Arsenal has a really big U.S. tour this summer. So they, a, a lot of the Premier League teams do preseason in the U.S. because it's such a huge market for them. They used to go to Asia. They used to go to like, you know, like, like Japan, Korea, et cetera. But now that soccer is really booming in the States... And just the, the spending power of people in this country, they're focusing all their attention on the U.S. in the summer. So Arsenal is here. Manchester United is here. I think Juventus, AC Milan, a lot of the big European teams are doing these preseason tours in, in the States. And Arsenal, they kind of have the illest kits. I'm not being biased. You know, Adidas really be like killing it with the kits. Uh, and they have a really good marketing social media team. And they, they worked with an agency that uh, one of my friend works at. Shout out Ruda. Ruda from Brazil. That's my ace. And they were like, we want to come up with a concept, uh, kind of unifying Arsenal with um, music culture of the diaspora. How do we connect the music of London 
to New York, to Africa, to Brazil, mm -hmm. to the Caribbean, right? And he kind of came up with this concept where I would be central to it as well as some other DJs and they basically called it Islington FM. Islington is a neighborhood, a borough in North London where Arsenal is based. Mm -hmm. And the concept is like, it's a pirate radio. It's a fictional pirate radio, Islington FM. And we're the DJs of, um, of that pirate radio. And they did pop-ups in the US around that, around where the team was traveling for the games. So I was involved with the pop-up in LA, which just happened. Arsenal beat uh, Barcelona 5-3. Come on, you gunners. Amazing game at SoFi Stadium. I had never been to SoFi Stadium. Massive. I think it's where the LA Rams play. Yes. It is one amazing structure. I mean, it blew my mind. And the fact that Arsenal won, that we were there, we had a good time. But, you know, but beyond that, you know, they hit me up. I got to really consult. I got them the venue for the pop-up, which is the Beehive, where we do Everyday People LA. Mm -hmm. They were really happy with like the community-centered uh, values of the Beehive. It's in South Central LA. It does a lot of stuff for the community. Uh, we got some dope-ass DJs like Pangea Sounds. Pangea Sounds. Yeah. You They're know, killing shout it. Shout right out uh, yeah. Joaquin, Supernova, Falcons. Uh, Joe, you know, they're, they're really fucking dope. You know, there was actually some motherfuckers here in Vegas that want to bring them uh, to Vegas. Yeah. yeah. They got they got that thing, man. They got that sound. They're just yeah. kind of, they're left of center, but not so far left. Like, you can really relate to it and get into it. And they're all, like, extremely talented DJs and producers. We had Blondie Beach from L.A. We had uh, Shabon Bell, who's actually based in L.A., but she's from London. So we kind of tied it to London. We had... Um, Ants Live as a live performer. He's an MC from North London, huge Arsenal fan. And then they kind of had me, you know, kind of curating the whole thing, anchoring the whole lineup. And bro, I was at this event. I was chopping it up with the general manager of Arsenal, Edu. <laughs> and just off the record, talking about some of the transfers, you know, it's like, to me, it's the equivalent of like when I supported the Knicks super diehard during like the Pat Riley era And, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like me kicking it with Pat Riley and being like, so, yo, are we really going to get Larry Johnson this summer? Like, yo, are we really doing these trades? Like, are we re going to renew Pat Ewing's contract? That's the level of convo that I was having off the record with the general manager. I met a lot of the people from the Arsenal, I guess, blogosphere or podcast sphere. And they were like, yo, it's a pleasure to meet you. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I listen to these guys like twice a week. I mean, like I said, I'm super grateful for all these moments that I've had in the past year. But the Arsenal shit had me gassed like that up. You get like a custom jersey and all that I got shit. a custom jersey. Well, yeah, with, wow. That's with dope. MoMA and, uh, on the back, you know. Damn, man. Yeah. Damn, man. Damn. Well, and to know. be honest, I, you know, I met a lot of the, the, the marketing team when I was in London before coming to L.A., They gave me a private tour of the stadium, you know. They took me to, like, the player entrance, um, like, the director's boxes, yeah. the locker room, even, like, the interview boxes and, and the press room. You know, I got to see the entire stadium from the inside. They took me uh, pitch side, right? I stood right next to the pitch. It was, it was a major flex, like, even for me, you know, that up. Do you think football is going to, like, ever make it in, like, in the U.S.? Because I, I noticed, like, Messi signed with, like, the Miami team, Dude, right? that shit was crazy. Yeah, and, like, I think, I think it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Like, look at where it is now compared to where it was 
20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's not an overnight thing, but it, in 20 years, it could be, it's going to be bigger than baseball, right? Because right now, baseball was struggling so hard, they had to change the rules earlier this year, and oh, now wow. people are into it. People Wait, are what already, did they change? Like, uh, they, they put a pitch clock. There's a pitch clock. So you have to be on the box as a batter within seven seconds from the last pitch. Oh, they just rushing motherfuckers. Yeah, and, so and, and it's more exciting. People are into it more, you know? <laughs> yeah. Basketball also has a problem, you know? Um, regular season NBA is virtually impossible to watch. It's just like a, a walk in the park. Everybody loves the playoffs, but there's like these 82 games played at like low intensity. Um, the only sport that, in my opinion, is bulletproof um, in this country is football. Yeah. Football is a, American is a football. show. American football. Football is a show. American Every game football. matters. Every down matters, right? 20. And it's only like 18. How, how long is the regular season? Yeah, I think it's like 17. 17 games. games and then like four or five games in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty much the intensity of the Premier League, right? There's 38 games for the whole league. There's no playoffs. But every game is life or death. Anybody from top to bottom can beat one another. On top of that, you got the Champions League where like all the best teams. Anyway, all this to say that when the Arsenal team met me, they were like, this guy, he's the he's the link, you know? And they, they felt like I was the link between connecting the culture in Europe with what's happening in the States. And I was like, that's incredible because that's not even something I would have dreamed of. You know, you can kind of think... I want to DJ for Beyonce. I want to be on stage nah, with Drake. Sports thing. You could, but yeah. the sports thing as a fan, like the way sports fans support a team is way wilder, way crazier than we support any artist, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. If you're a diehard fan. So to think that in some capacity, you could one day represent the team that you support doing exactly what you love. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm saying this is the shit that had yeah. me gassed. I'll be crazy if the Dodgers asked me to throw the first pitch. Like, I'd be like, yo, it's a DJ. Like, come throw the first pitch. I would go crazy. But too. no, but throw the first pitch, but also curate the music. Yeah, work crazy. on some rollout campaign for the jerseys and shit like that. Yeah. You know, that shit definitely had me gassed. Did you meet the players or no? The players weren't there, you know. And to be honest, I'll keep it a whole bean with you. I'm not that interested in meeting the players, you know. Those guys are like half your age. Like... I would love to be like, yo, keep doing what you do. Good luck this year. But meeting like the general manager, I'm more or less the same age You're as him. About the club. Meeting the meeting the marketing people, the understand the narrative that they're crafting around the team. It was so much more interesting for me because I could also like give them a real perception of how Arsenal is seen in the states. Mm-hmm. The difference between the fan base in New York and the fan base in LA, which is totally different. And you know, we could get like feedback in real time. Um, the players, they're just like freaks of nature. They're like incredibly talented artists, and but they're half my age, and I, I wouldn't be able to chop it up the same way with them. I yo, so I think we've heard this motherfucker talking. Yeah. Right? By the way, he so, said he didn't want this episode to be about him in the beginning of this. Spent, he spent like thirty minutes on his his. Fucking I said I didn't want team. it to be about everyday people <laughs> or about me. Actually, he just talked about soccer for like thirty minutes. Yeah. I was like, shit. I Invite us to the game next time if <laughs> this helps. <laughs> Send us a road podcast. Uh, yo, Arsenal meet me journey. in London on, on Wednesday. I'm going to be in London on Wednesday. Oh, uh, yo, Mo. Bye, Mo. Always good to see you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. No, no. Thank you for coming. Ah, it's a pleasure always, man. You took and, a detour for us. No, yeah. for real, man. And you stopped through from LA on your way to New York. You know, we appreciate it, man. Thank uh, you. Dinner's bro. on you, at least? Yes, of course. All right. Shame, That's dude. not even a question. <laughs> I'm with it. Hey, yo. Shout to DJ Moma. Thank you for coming through. Peace. Thanks, fellas.
Thanks for tuning into The Road Podcast. Don't forget, every Wednesday, we have new episodes on all major streaming platforms. And every Thursday, the video versions go up on our YouTube page. Please subscribe to our channel, youtube.com slash roadpodcast. And to find exclusive clips of the pod, please visit youtube.com slash DJ City. And we'll see you next Wednesday.